Call it. Call it, yes. For a whole lot. Just call it. Welcome to episode 120 of Call It Friend of the Podcast, where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Rich and my co-host Donica Tiernan watched two Robert Altman films from the 1970s, California Split and Nashville. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at CallAFriendOfPodcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. My brother served with Patton. I saw action in Algiers. Oh, we must be doing something right to last two well, I met me there some sailors down by Barcelona dock, and I got right down on my knees and I started. Hey, Andy, to listen to rock. Hey, <laughs> whoa, 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 jeez! I didn't see the red light flashing there. How are you? We're live. I'm good. Well, I've been working on this new song. You heard it there, "Ode to Mike Rice." So, <laughs> I see. I think it's going to be a big hit. It definitely speaks to his life experience. Indeed, indeed. You've been having a good week. I have. I had a great time. I had a great old time. Two Robert Altman 1970s classics. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah. They were good. They were good now, weren't they? Yeah, they're good. I liked one of them much more than the other one. Any ideas you... which? Uh, no, but we'll we'll leave that to... Yeah, we'll leave see. that to fate. Indeed, indeed. I, I've, I do have a gut feeling. Which, will I guess? Go on. Let's get your guts out. I predict that you uh, would prefer California Split. That's correct. Ah, I prefer Nashville. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) I know that because I'm waiting for a little song. But I do think they're really good comparison pieces. Yeah, I think it was the right choice. Yeah, they lead into... You can see what Robert Altman was trying to get at with his cinema in both movies, I would say. Like real sad American people. That's what it's about. Elliot Gold's face. Elliot Gold's face a bit. um, A very funny meta bit actually that is before we uh anchor into that i would just i would just like to say do you enjoy stressful films or tv i would uh, i mean i think enjoy is the wrong word i'll watch them but i don't enjoy it what's something you can t- remember that you found stressful because <clears throat> like for example stressful ones now that i've seen like okay i'll tell you what everybody loves uncut gems including me and everyone says that it was fantastic. And everybody so says that's, that's very stressful, as is actually their other movie, A Good Time, that's stressful as hell. Still haven't seen uh, it. But uh, they're stressful in a rather enjoyable way. And I was watching something the other night that was so stressful I had to turn it off. But anyway, what was what, that? What, well, it was the, it was the Christmas uh, episode in The Bear Season 2. <laughs> I mean, the first stressful thing that comes to mind for me is probably like Requiem for a Dream. But that's like a building dread. And to be honest, I don't think yes. it would have any effect on me anymore. Like I, I watched that so many times in my I early 20s. I believe you watched that so many times. <laughs> I used to watch it on like a monthly basis. I used to show it to people and go like, yeah, how are you feeling? You feeling good? All right, well, let's, let's see if we can put a stop to that. I but mean, that, like I, like I say, I'm, I, I haven't seen it for years and years and years. So maybe that would still work. But that, that's something that just had that just ominous dread and then it, it cranks up and gets higher and higher towards everyone having a bad winter you see i watched that film once when i was 16 one of the first times in my life i was like hung over and um, i thought you were talking about once the the irish uh <laughs> song no but i have plenty of time for that movie writer, that gets a slagging that gets like a slagging I, watched, I was like how is once going to be a stressful film but 
No, but with Requiem for a Dream, I'll just never watch that again. I just that's on the list of it just caught me at a certain moment. So it's it's trauma for me forever. Like um, the sixth sense, oddly enough, even though I can still enjoy that. But that's that still is to me the scariest movie ever. That's fair. But man, the in this Christmas episode in the bear and I'm a huge fan of the bear, by the way, Um, like people, if they like if they've not seen it, uh, everybody knows about the bear at this point, do they? It's um, your man. Christopher Storer wrote it. Jeremy Allen White, um, but it it's he's he's the lead. But it's gotten so big now. There's cameos galore. Jamie Lee Curtis is in a cameo as their mom in one episode. Bob Odenkirk is in it for about five seconds. No ex- exaggeration. Everyone just wants a piece. But they do this flashback episode where they're at home for Christmas, and then I realize this is a factor that stresses me out watching things. It's when people are just talking over each other all the time and shouting and they shoot it in real close yeah but i mean no but it's not to the same degree i can't like i mean all robert altman fucking loves people talking over each other but it's not like that it's like it's arguing and it's they mean like people not listening to each other or something yes it's just i we are like because i had a very long day yesterday and we eventually got home we settled down and we watched for like 10 minutes of it and i was like this is the wrong moment i can't absorb this it's so stressful uh, so I've never actually done that before. I've never turned anything off for being stressful. <laughs> but that was what, last night. What's the vibe of the bear? I just can't, yeah. I just haven't watched any of it. And I sort of, it's hard for me to bring myself to do it. I understand well, that, it's amazing, blah, blah, blah. But Well, that leads nicely into, yeah, because I want to talk about two things I've been watching. I've been watching the bear season two. I talked about the season one before. Thanks for listening. No, I'm only joking. Uh, what I love about it. I did. I listened to it, but I just... Listen, I, I've read a bunch of other things that people have said about the bear, but I can't seem to get my head around. It's like a guy around why a, it's good. A guy with a restaurant. I'm like, what is this? Is it some sort of Anthony Bourdain style thing? Or well, they're definitely cruising by on that particular species of cool that Anthony Bourdain created. That's 100. percent The that that's what they're going for with this. Um, in the same like you know, in the same way, people can get a lot away with a lot by setting their movie in the seventies because the clothes are nice. This gets a bit of mileage out of you know the fetishization of the hospitality industry in that weird way. And I really enjoyed the first season for how kind of accurate it was because I worked in in that um, you know uh, industry in for an awful restaurant. long time in that restaurant particularly. Yes, the episodes are all quite like a half an hour long or so, so to catch up and refresh because I enjoyed the first season so much I rewatched it before the second season and I realized it's not just enjoying being around the kitchen it's got a lot to say about like leadership and the art and trauma as well but a restaurant is just a very interesting setting for that because it is art but it is also like right. insane discipline it's difficult it is stressful so yeah, yeah. That, uh, so basically, John Bernthal's character kills himself before the series begins and oh, leaves nice. his leaves his restaurant to his younger brother, who he who's a Michelin star chef. Who they really fell apart over the years, like fell apart from one another. That is. So he gets this restaurant, which is like a down and dirty Chicago sandwich shop, and he tries to sort of turn it around in in his own way. And there's resistance and family problems and money problems. Um, but it's really, really good. It's really well written, really well shot. And it's like, yeah, everybody gravitated towards it because everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's a that show is nice. Can I be in it? And they were like, well, you can have this part for five seconds. And people were like, yeah, that'll do. Who's that made by? Is it FX or something? 
Uh, it's on it, Hulu, it's so it, Hulu. It, it's it's on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's hosted on Disney Plus. Um, your man was like a produ- a, fil- a movie producer for years. I don't know of anything Christopher Storer produced, but he just used to eat in this place, got this idea to set a thing there and make it super realistic. Like, believe I do think half the drive in making this show was to set something in a restaurant that is really on point, really realistic. There's one scene in the first episode where the, all the orders go, like everything goes a bit bananas. The situation itself is a bit exaggerated, but the reaction and the mood in the kitchen is totally accurate. Like it's, it is what it is. I don't know. I really love it. I I, I think it's a great show, but I'll I'll have to try and go back and finish um, at that episode tonight, even though I'm very tempted to just start watching the David Beckham documentary. So yeah, David Beckham documentary? Yeah, there's a David Beckham documentary out on Netflix that I'd like to watch. Okay. What? Like, I don't know. This came out of left field. You David were Beckham. you watched a big one on, on Sir Alex Ferguson last year. I know, but Alex Ferguson and David Beckham, to me, are not at the same level. Obviously, David Beckham's much better. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, but I don't get because you're not a Manchester United fan, so I don't really... No, because Alex Ferguson's a legend. David Beckham, well, the, why keep nothing interesting coming out of David Beckham's mouth? David Beckham is a legend. Okay. He he was a great player. For his yeah, I know, but he's thick as fuck. Listen to him talk. <laughs> you are you are going by the Ali G interpretation of David Beckham, I feel. That's fine. Roy Keane has great faith in him, person. and anything Roy Keane says goes. Fair play. All what right. was the have other you, thing you watched? Was have you watched thing? anything? Yeah, I have. I've got one. I went to the cinema. I went to see the creator. Oh yeah. Yeah, we chatted a bit about this, but I want I have like, questions. Like but Gareth you do Edwards. your spiel. Well, it seems to be the uh, sci-fi film of the moment. It's kind of one of the few things that's on in the cinema here in the UK. But uh, I went, I guess, the opening weekend, and there were probably about 10 people in my my screening, and five of them were children that were far too young to be there. Um, It's not particularly, it's not that it's like overly violent or anything like that. It's just, I was like, what are they getting from? (laughs) They were too young. I was like, this is, what are you getting from this? There are some films that you're too young to watch. Maybe I'm just an, maybe I'm just an old man and actually they enjoyed it more than me. There's also that possibility. But anyway, if you've ever seen any Vietnam film and if you've ever seen any film where AI, oh look, AI are actually similar to humans. If you cross-pollinate those two things then yeah you've seen the creator well done oh well in that case i really liked it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was like apocalypse now meets ai it was great no i mean it's like okay one of the all right first of all the best visuals maybe of anything ever wow this kind of like amazing cyberpunk world but you know his background is um yeah he's a he's a visual artist edwards right i haven't seen monster I Monsters, haven't seen yeah, Godzilla. Yeah, that's very good. I've only seen Rogue One. Rogue One was kind of taken away from him a little bit and handed over to, is it Tony Gilroy? Which of the Gilroy? Tony Gilroy, Dan yeah. Gil- Tony Gilroy. Dan Gilroy and is night, uh, night, night, what's it called again? Nightcrawler? Uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Along yeah, with, yeah, sorry. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the problem with the creator is the characters are paper thin. The dialogue is horrendous. Denzel Washington's son, I don't mind him, and that's 100% what his name is, by the way. His name is Denzel Washington's son. <laughs> it's his full name. 
he he's fine in other stuff. I didn't mind him in Tenet. I didn't blame him. I think him he's for fine Tenet. in everything. That's the I he's think that's fine. his he's level. He's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. this, he's weirdly miscast. There's a there's a few tonal problems in this film as well, where it's quite serious and they go for jokes at weird moments. And you're like, what's what's going on there? Um. Mm. So ultimately, it just falls apart. I thought you might like it though, because it is I, about like uh, it's about like a man and a young child and it's like a family-ish vibe to things hmm. um, of this this um, kind of government agent who's trying to kill well he's looking after this AI child that the AI has created as this ultimate weapon here's where I stand on it I didn't go to the cinema to see Dungeons and Dragons when that came out right and then this came out and I, you, you told me your opinion on it a little bit and I've heard other similar opinions but where I stand now is I'm I'm just there thinking. I mean, I miss just going to the movie, the the cinemas to see an okay movie. I was kind of want to see an okay movie. I because well, the thing is, when you only go in with high expectations, you're disappointed most of the time, and that has been my experience of a lot of recent cinema trips. So maybe you wouldn't mind this. I was better than Sound of Freedom. Was it better than The Equalizer Three? Probably. Although if you switched if you put denzel into the creator it's it would be a it much better. better film straight away yeah just <laughs> do you know the thing about him um, is his name john david washington john david that? washington yeah yeah yeah. Okay, denzel washington's son the thing about his career is i don't know he came out at a moment where everyone was really mad for a non-white uh, lead for the political climate that was in it so i f- i feel like he kind of got golden calfed a little bit. Well, he's also he, like, like, like a massive Nepo baby, in fairness. <laughs> well, this is it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, other people have been that too, and it didn't do them no good. Like, what I would say is like, he is a, certainly a serviceable actor, but he's yeah. gotten plaudits above anything that he's shown so far. Well, I mean, like, I remember him in um, the Spike Lee film. Yeah, I thought he Ennis. was good. I thought he was perfectly fine in that. I mean, I'd say he was solid. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm talking about um, black KKK clansmen. Yeah, yeah. I thought he's he was a good-looking good. guy. I mean, that like he he definitely has that on his side. Right. Um, but what else has he been in apart from those two things? These three things. Uh, he was in that Amsterdam sh- thing, whatever it's called. Yeah, which is apparently terrible. But I think David Pants. O. Russell's finally that that that'll be the last David O. Russell for a while. I'd say. Yeah. Um, I can't think of what he was in. He was in. But yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't even think of the nepotism aspect. There is certainly that. Uh, hey, can I? Can my son have an agent? The best thing he was in was um, Denzel Washington's ball sack. <laughs> that was probably oh, the peak as a peak of his career. Well, no, he was also in Devil in a Blue Dress and Malcolm X. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, was he? Yeah, yeah. Was that during was. the ball sack? Phase? He, he, no, no, no. He was. <laughs> <laughs> was he actually out in the world at that point? And he, he was, was also, a child in those films. He was also he a, a kid co- in Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. He's a student in Harlem Classroom, it says here. In oh, yeah. Devin that's right. The end. Yeah, who could forget? Who could forget Boy with Toy Rifle well, from uh, Devil in the Blue Dress? Somewhere. He starts you somewhere. Don't, you, um, and he was a co-producer on The Book of Eli in 2010. What? He was about 12. Uh, in 2010? No. He would have yeah, he, like he was born in 1984. So, yeah, 2010. That's the most Jaden Smith thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's not great. It's not great. I'll go down through it now. Love Beats and Rhymes, Monsters and Men, Monster. He's really a Black Clansman, the, the Old Man and the Gun, which is an okay movie. Oh, yeah, Tenet, I haven't seen that. So. Malcolm and Marie. What a bunch of pretentious gobshitery. It's a terrible movie. I hated <laughs> well, that so 
fucking much. Beckett, uh, which is apparently good. I've heard that's good. Amsterdam, fuck that. And then yeah, the creator, and he's uh, but he is out. In, he's in the piano lesson, which uh, Malcolm is a film directed by Malcolm Washington. Is Malcolm Washington another nepo <laughs> yeah, baby? Probably. That's his brother. A uh, produced by Denzel Washington. Yeah, definitely nice. is. So he's in his brother's family. movie soon. I don't uh, know if that's really his brother. I was just kidding. And he, uh, oh yeah, apparently he was in forty-seven episodes of something called Ballers. You know what oh, Ballers yeah. is? Yeah, it was uh, it was an HBO thing about like sports agents. I think. Oh, The Rock. Dwayne yeah, the, the Rock, Rock Johnson in is in it. it. Oh, that's the not Rock bad. For Dwayne not Johnson. Bad. Well, anyway, yeah, fuck it, whatever. I won't resent John David Washington and his his career. It's Still, okay. I'm glad we've spent uh, <laughs> this much time talking about his career. Uh, the one other thing I would have to recommend, which I really, really enjoyed, is something called One Piece. Have you heard about One Piece? Yeah, I do know what this is. I know what this is. You watched this. That's like a kid. You said you don't like kid stuff. That yes, is kid I know. Stuff. But somebody really like, uh, okay, so th- where I stand with, not kid stuff, cartoons, to be clear. I don't care. This is like a live action it is a kid cartoon. Show. Isn't the it main is character like a fucking pirate monkey guy? Uh, monkey Luffy or something. He's my monkey D Luffy. Yes, yeah. he's my hero. <laughs> Excuse me. He's made of rubber. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right, but no, bear with me. Right, so they, like the thing I I really I don't have much time for cartoons, and I really don't have much time for like manga cartoons. And I always think I must be the problem here because people love them so much. So, so then I heard so much plaudits for this show. So I checked it out. There's nobody you'd really recognize in it. Um, not well, actually no. A whistler from Commando shows up, but I don't know the name of that actor. Um, Commando, the Schwarzenegger film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I recognized him. I looked it up. No, not uh, Whistler. Bennett. Bennett is in it. Bennett. Um, anyway, um, you know, let off some steam, Bennett. That guy. But then it's like it's like nineties children's TV with a massive budget. It's so ridiculous. This is on it's Netflix. A, yeah, yeah. So it's it's set in this world where it's just one strip of land and all ocean. And the one world government, that's what they're actually called, <laughs> captured the, the mass, this, the, be- the greatest pirate of all time. And he announces before they execute him that he has hidden his uh, treasure. His treasure is called a one piece uh, somewhere so the out in the New ocean. The world order is searching for some kind of treasure, are they? Yes, indeed. So then this launches loads of pirates who just travel out among the world looking for the treasure. And all the pirates are, as you would imagine, like there's been about a thousand episodes of the manga of the manga show. So like you can picture how wild they're willing to go with this stuff. But the thing is, normally with this sort of wildness, they try and do something to tune it into a live action adaptation. But this is just a live cartoon. And I find I, I don't know, I found it bizarrely entertaining. Like I, I could like just compulsively eating it up. I really, really enjoyed it. I would love you to give it a go. Fair. I know you won't. Okay. No. Oh, go on. Watch an episode. <laughs> okay, watch one episode. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe I'll make this. That could be my twenty twenty six promise. I will. I will watch one episode of that. If in twenty twenty six. Yeah, three years time. Okay, fair enough. I mean, there'll probably be a few <laughs> a series promise. out by then, so it'll be, you'll be in fine form to binge. Well, if it will, it'll be cancelled by then, surely. If this is, you know. Renewed, by, renewed for a second season, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, but well, when they cancel at three with Netflix, don't they? They what? They usually cancel after three. Why, if the show's doing badly? Like, they're no, still I, making they Stranger Things. Yeah, but that's like their flagship show. I think in general, they tend to pull the trigger after three because they're like, we're not going to... There's no point in us trying to build or keep anything going. We might as well just start something new. They fire everything in the bin as quick as they can. 
Uh, Mind you, everyone is cancelling everything because it's expensive. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's interesting because all these massive studios are kind of having to tune the dials on making money again uh, because everyone was like, ah, streaming, nothing can go wrong here. But uh, yeah, everybody's losing. Too much stuff. Too many there is yeah yeah there's literally saturation of content many. yeah far too much you content. can't watch everything and like here's the thing is <laughs> I, i'm far behind in this show uh, but just i i was going to bring it up next week i will actually because I'll, I'll probably have watched the whole thing but i started finally um season two of unforgotten right mm. and the thing is like just zooming in on it it's like i do genuinely have i have a belief in good content and i think when fucking all the bullshit fl- falls away. I don't know. Shows like that will survive that or that ilk. You know what I mean? Because they've been there all along. They don't cost too much money. They just Six need episodes. talented writers. You know? Yeah. Six episodes. It can't cost that much. I mean, Bosch probably costs a bit more, but we can't say go- goodbye to Bosch. Bosch needs to stay. Well, it's Bosch Legacy and then whatever comes after that. The ghost to go- ghost Bosch. I look forward I'd like to, to see like senile Bosch solving yeah. uh, like tr- solving crimes in a nursing home, Ooh, but then it turns pants. out he's he's just he's, yeah exactly he's just shitting my pants. <laughs> shit shit my pants. Someone shit my pants. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> find out who it was. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> I we we both watched two other things this week. Two other things directed by a man called Robert Altman. Well, what Robert Altman movies had you seen before this? So we watched um, the Long, Long Goodbye. Goodbye at some brilliant. point. I've missed a ton of stuff. You've seen way more Altman than I have. I'll tell you what I have seen. I doubt it. I, no, you've seen it way more. I watched Popeye on TV when I was a kid. I haven't Me seen too. It since I've seen The Player. I, I have seen, seen, I think I might have seen The Gingerbread Man, the Grisham adaptation. I've seen Gosford Park, uh, and that's it in these two. So I really haven't seen much at all. I haven't seen MASH, haven't seen Thieves Like Us, haven't seen uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Bruce that's the best. Uh, yeah, so I've seen MASH, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, The Long Goodbye, Popeye, and Shortcuts. So we're about, we're almost even. Yeah, wow, we still got a lot of filling in to do. I mean, he, yeah, he made a, a lot of movies. He Some was... of them are utter shite, I think. Have you, are any of the ones you've seen utter shite? Do you? Uh, the, the Gingerbread Man stars Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> it's a John Grisham adaptation. It, it's a weird one. I feel like towards the end, he was just kind of going, going like, I'll do, you know, like I'll do whatever. He did Dr. T and the woman with. Yeah, um, I was reading that at the Wikipedia entry on that the other day. It sounds bizarre. Yeah. There's a few things like that later on where you're like, all right. I mean, he was in his 80s or late 70s at that point. I think like, so I watched um, MASH and McCabe and Mrs. Miller probably in my early 20s when I was first getting into cinema and I wasn't too hot on them. And it just, it's just so, there's so many things that like types of, uh, types of music, uh, going to art galleries, like certain types of tourism that just, you need to, you need to have accepted that you're going to die or something. You need to be old and mature to kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. take them in properly and understand what they're about. And so when I watched like, Ma- I think I rewatched MASH and McCabe and Mrs. Miller during the pandemic, I bought, I enjoy them both so much. Um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller way more. I think that's just, that's an incredible movie. Um, you, I would really, really recommend you watch that. It's weird because it's like, like MASH is a thin ass story. I would argue California Split is a thin ass story. Nashville only isn't because there's so many stories, but they're <laughs> all pretty. It goes on forever. 
they're all pretty flimsy in their own way. Like the Long Goodbye is a Raymond Chandler movie, yeah, so it has around. a plot. McCabe and Mrs. Miller has a bit of a plot too. That's, but that's even also if the based ones on a novel, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even like with the the like the stories being as thin as they are, the kind of this there there is substance in the in the style, if you get what I mean. Even with Mash, which is about nothing, the way it's made kind of makes it stand up for more. Do you know what I'm I'm saying? Yeah. I I I can't your drift. I mean, a lot of these films, the ones we've watched set in the 70s so far we've seen I mean on the podcast we've watched three of these Robert Altman films set in the 70s and they all have something similar about them in terms of how he shoots things in style, yeah. and certain scenes. Yeah, and as you mentioned Bizarre before just characters talking over each other. Bizarre occurrences in the middle of movies like um which, like, yeah, like, you remember that odd scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger appears in The Long Goodbye? It's just so so crazy. And he makes a, 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 somebody has to strip down to their underpants. There's loads of weird, or the the hippie neighbors that are always topless. Yeah, Little, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and there's stuff like that in both of these movies, for yeah, sure. Yeah, stuff, yeah, I would definitely. imagine. But they're kind of lean-in movies. You You have to concentrate. I found both of these films, in both of them, I found the second half to be much stronger than the first half. But that might just be like place setting type things where, you know, especially of a 1970s style early on is just kind of setting things up. Mm. But in both films, there was like a turning point for me where I was like, okay, I'm fully locked in now. Because Nashville, there are parts of Nashville where I was like, okay... I see what he's doing and I appreciate it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Nashville's I big on that. <laughs> I don't need to sit here for, I was like, two hours for a man. I feel it picks up momentum. I mean, we'll talk Definitely, to that in a little bit. Doubt. But and the ending's great. I thought the, the ending ending's was spectacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that really worked. But uh, anyway, go California split. Yeah, yeah. Let's go California split. So, so you preferred this to uh, Nashville? Yeah, overall, I was more interested in what this had to say. But I think part of the problem is I think Nashville's not a one view film. I've seen a lot of people talking about it. they get a yeah. lot more from it every time they watch it, and I could see that. The I'm planning on Nashville, watching it again. Yeah, I don't know if I want to see Nashville again. Is the only problem, but I guarantee that I would like it more if I watched it a second time. If I question, but no, I really these enjoy, first I viewings. I California split. But continue though. Sorry, sorry. No, I was just saying, like, oh, like after watching both of these films, California Split speaks to me more. I mean, that was I was the one who chose it because I wanted to see something with gambling. Mm. I like Elliot Gould and George Siegel together. It does have a bit of that Altman weirdness, especially in the first half, which I wasn't such a fan of. Like all the relationship, all the relationship around like Elliot Gould's character living with these. Which one's Helen? There's the two ladies, the two prostitute ladies. Helen is the one of them's a prostitute. Helen is the man who's dressed as a lady. Oh no, she's great. I love her. She's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I see that didn't bother me. That scene I thought worked. I like a bit more of that of like grift type things where they're trying to make money or they're like, hey, we're police officers. Get out of here. I didn't have any problem with that, but it was just some of the stuff was just eh, I didn't know. I didn't know where it was going. But once they get their plan into motion and they head out to Reno, I was like, OK, I'm fully locked in because I see where it was, see where it's going at this point. I like I, I like it is a shallow enough story like there's not much going on but and actually in the opening minutes despite the settings because I love the settings and there's loads of real American people in the 70s there like that big fat lady at the poker table she's great yeah. Lou is great but the, like that part where Elliot Gold comes in and kind of acts like a 
a Disney character pretending to be cool where he's there. Hey, these are the rules to poker. That guy, and he's talking to the rules. 1974. I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. He's a bit over the top. But then I actually really enjoyed that sequence where it's panning around the casino as that introduction to poker playing plays over it. I thought that was actually a really nice kind of intro sequence to the movie. And then they're sat... When, yeah, like, basically, I think... It's it's propelled along nicely by his style. There's great performances, real human moments. There's gambling movies. I can think of two or three better. Either people say this is the greatest gambling movie of all time. I disagree. No, I would. Um, I would say Uncut Gems. I really liked uh, Mississippi Grind. I thought that was fantastic. I, I put that for a toss before and lost. So oh, it's I very good. I recommend it. you check it out. Yeah, I um, do want to. I've I've been Rounders. To I'm a big fan of Rounders. This feels um, Rounders feels like it owes quite a lot to this film. Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah, Maverick, of course, who could forget Maverick? <laughs> could forget the old uh, Mel Gibson classic. Uh, yeah, but it's w- Cincinnati Kid. It's a solid film. Uh, Hustler. The Hustler. Yeah, yeah. Color is of it, Money. It's not interesting so much. how uninterested in gambling Altman is. I'm not interested in gambling. I mean, I, I, this is a weird thing. I'm like, I hate gambling. There's not, yeah, me too. Uh, I, do, I have no interest in it whatsoever yeah, yeah. in doing it, but I do like watching people fuck their life away on it <laughs> or win big equally. Like, yeah, I, but I'm that's happy the thing to watch is like, other people gamble, strangely. Like, I'll tell you, you would love Uncut Gems. That's a film I'm sure, I'm sure interested in the magic energy around gambling. But I don't, I don't think Altman's, and it's weird because this fella, Joseph Walsh, who's a, an actor, he plays. Um, Oh yeah, he's the guy. He in plays the uh, George Siegel's uh, um, bookmaker in this. Yeah, yeah. He Sparky. Yeah, Sparky. That's right. He he was a big like lifelong gambler, and he wrote the screenplay. Tried to develop it with like Steven one. Spielberg. With uh, they took it to MGM. MGM wanted to set it all in the one casino because they owned a casino. Then MGM got bought out, and uh, the new guys wanted to make it into a kind of a heist movie with Dean Martin. So it just got turfed around and eventually Altman took hold of it. They argy-bargied around the script a little bit. But I feel like, and I think this leads directly into the film he was making in Nashville. He's interested in like just normal Americans being sort of paycheck to paycheck, like one paycheck away from destitution. And you kind of have to laugh. And I think that's sort of the duality of the two characters. Like Bill is such a fucking... Mis- serious misery guts. Do you remember at the start where they have that fight at the table and he hides under the table? He gets punched in the face as well. Does he get punched in the face? And the Bill's opening? the George Siegel character, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He gets he gets laid out. And yeah, he hides away, but you know, Charlie's all for it. He's like, Yeah, let's have you, etc. That's you know, Elliot Gold being all cool. I don't know. I think it doesn't seem like it's focusing in on the desperate the ja- the dragon that uh gamblers are chasing so much as i don't know it's pretty miserable throughout and uh, until there's miserable bits yes they have a lot of misery of just they keep losing and fucking things up throughout there's uh, Um, one scene in it where he goes into like an underground poker game and passes two kids in a cot that's pretty Mm. harrowing yeah Uh, and also this you know they're getting beaten up like multiple times they've got like one guy's got the loan shark after him I mean, maybe I'm just desensitized. Maybe that's it. <laughs> you think everyone's having a great time. I think in 1974, it looked like... It seems like there was so much more freedom in this time period compared to now. 
I think it would be way more depressing to be one paycheck away from having nothing and going to Reno now. Yeah. Yeah. Like in 1974, it's a bit sort of like, eh, they'll fuck off. We'll just go wherever. We'll just go the next town over and no one will know who I am. Well, Elliot Gold is laconic in that purely 70s way. Just a not give a fuck Jew guy, you know? He just, he carries it so nicely that... I don't know if they, if it's misery they were going for as possible. He was the wrong. He's, yeah, he's he's always having a good time. He exactly. never looks like he's not. He's like got a cocktail in his hand and he's fucking around constantly. And that's the thing. And we'll talk about the ending in a little bit, obviously. But I misinterpreted the ending because I read about it later and it's meant to be a different thing. And there's an alternative ending that I have uh, that Joseph Walsh talks about. I have that from an interview here. But the ending as it was, I interpreted it as something different to what it actually is, apparently. I think we've already basically covered the plot on this one. There's two guys, they start hanging I'll out together. I'll run through it. Yeah, do, do, we, we talk cast or plot first? Go to just hit the plot, no? Okay, I'll, I'll hit the plot. So, yeah, we're introduced to these um, two boys, uh, Bill and Charlie, who they don't know each other, and they're at this, um, it looks like a shithole casino, playing poker. Charlie's taunting this fella, Lou, that he gets punched in the face, uh, but he, he's just won all of Lou's money. Um, it's nicely shot. There's loads of like real looking people. Anyway, the two boys. Uh, they the only bond. thing I was thinking at that time watching the scene was like, I just want to be watching Killing of a Chinese Bookie instead. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is all I could think of. Oh, yeah. Sure, the gambling is big in that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the big, big greatest gambling movie yeah, of all maybe, time. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So they bond in, by the way, the way it's either old movies get getting drunk wrong or the way people get drunk has changed because I've seen it so many times in movies that guys get drunk and they start singing songs like that. (laughs) I thought that was the Irish way to get drunk. I've never gotten drunk like that. No, we sing sad songs and everybody listens. They're like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that does it. I've never, ever done that in my life. Yeah, I, I don't think people drink person, like that. And we've started singing little songs. Also, weird thing. Very Here's a weird uh, Altman moment. There's a girl in the bar with no pants. Yeah, what's that all about? Is she a she's prostitute? Wa- I don't know, but she's walking around I with no pants. I couldn't understand what was going on. Getting money for her mother. I mean, it's a nice little background thing to show you the desperation of the whole scene. But like, why has she got no pants? I think Altman said that they ran out of uh, money for the costume department. So there was no they pants. Couldn't okay, fair afford enough. her to have anything on. Anyway, they get out of there. Is it? And right then and there, actually, yeah, they get the living shit beat out of them by Lou and his boys. Which and is they, all really annoying. It's like Charlie's fault of just flashing money around and being a dickhead. He's like the kind of Edward Norton worm of this yeah, uh, pair. But it's also. I mean, in gambling movies, it's also inevitable. It's like, oh, here comes the shit kicking. Apparently. And I mean, this is in L.A. as well. It's not like they're in Vegas or wherever, but still they're getting fucking done in constantly. Next up, then they yeah, they head home to Charlie's ladies. He lives with two uh, two hooas, one clearly um, more fragile than the other. And then, uh, yeah, Bill returns the next day and the two boys hit the track. They con some lady out of her lucky horse. She throws oranges at them. It's a pretty funny scene. Why even bother with that? Like, why fuck with her to get her to not bet on that horse? I don't know. I think it might be superstitious or keep the odds up or something like that. Yeah, maybe it's odds, but she was only going to put on, like, she wasn't going to put on her life savings or anything. Yeah, it's funny that she throws the oranges and Bill loses his shit. I, that I enjoy that like, scene. That feels like a real 70s thing of someone losing their shit. It just doesn't feel real at all. What, the orange throwing? Yeah, yeah. 
Maybe. Piece of work and throwing oranges at them. You're a real piece of work. Yeah, then they head, because they won all the money, so they head back, they're going to take the girls out, but they're like, no, you got to go, he's coming over. And then they hang out the back, and um, this man, this lady called Helen, but it's a man, man playing, it's a man dressed up as a lady, Uh, but they're like, oh, your dress is so nice and stuff. But then they come around. She did look very nice, I agree. Then they come around and uh, trick him into getting out, and... um, I think this is a real good like highs and lows kind of scene, like gamblers riding high because they trick him into thinking they're vice cops and they take the girls out for dinner and they're all delighted to be gone and everything like that. And then they even get like robbed at gunpoint. But the Charlie's like, no, you're not getting all the money. I'll give you some of the money. And your man goes away and it's like, oh, nothing can stop these boys. It's really nice. Um, but then the movie immediately continues into desperate territory. Bill very much descends. Uh, his boss, Jeff Goldblum, is probably <laughs> looking at him. The youngest. How old is he? He's like 20 or something. He's much younger. Like, I don't know. He looks like a teenager in yeah, charge he's of... he's very young. Yeah, yeah, anyway. At least he speaks in this film. He doesn't in the other one. There you go. So, uh, Bill, yeah, Bill descends. He's going to poker games where there's children in cribs. There's one very unsettling scene, which I wonder what it's about. When he goes over to the house to hang out with um, what's her chops, uh, Susan. Oh yeah, and they're is going he going to rob her or something? Oh, is that what it is? I couldn't put it together. There's an odd energy in it, and she's yeah, clearly fragile. The, so the other one, which comes makes back. him a predator. Barbara, Barbara comes back, the older yeah. one, the wiser one, and then he basically heads out the door. Yeah, I never thought about that. I think that that's what's make go- sense. going on there. Because um, otherwise you're like, why did he back out? Like, why does he no longer want to do the yeah, biz? There, there's an odd energy to the scene, mm. I'll say. They get to Reno anyway. Uh, Charlie sponsors him in a game and he gambles and gambles and gambles and wins loads. And then Charlie's like, okay, my turn. So Bill just settles down with his w- winnings and says, I'm going home. And... Um, uh, then Charlie just says, well, where do you live? And goes and continues on with his party. Now, I interpreted this ending thus. I was like, yeah, Charlie's fun-loving gambler, but fucking for Bill, because Charlie's there going, we'll get some girls, we'll get like a room in the Phoenix, blah, 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 blah. But Bill is just sat there at the table just being miserable. because, And I kind of interpreted that to being, no, nothing's ever enough. It's never enough. Oh, no, I didn't. I interpreted it. As like he just thought this is a shit way to live. This is shit. Yeah, I that's want apparently to... what it was. Yeah, yeah. Your like, interpretation I want, is correct. I want to go back to my normal life because this is actually awful. When he sits down and thinks about it, he's like, "What the fuck am I doing? This is awful." Yeah, I mean, but I think it's a there's good... a crossover. I think there's a link between those two things. I don't think they're entirely different in in what you're talking about. And maybe it is partially where he's going. Well, it is never enough. So I'm going to quit. Like I know now just to step back because otherwise I'm going to just ride it all the way down into the ground. It's not very 70s to finish a gambling movie with a fucking life lesson though, is it? I mean, apparently that's what it was. Apparently that's the ending. That's what's happening. And then what do you want to hear the original ending? Yeah, they blow each other. So I read this interview with uh, Joe. Yeah, so... Then uh, Charlie says to Bill, look here, I'm going to blow you. I'll cheer you up. <laughs> yeah, I've got, here's, here's two grand. I'll give you two out of my 41,000. And then I'm going to give you a blowy. Yeah. Um, no, anyway. Wait, no, so wait, He's paying him and blowing him. That's insane. Yeah, that's <laughs> the 70s, man. Um, so this is from an interview with Joseph Walsh. He said, so Charlie says, 
Bill, here's what we'll do. We'll go to Mustang Ranch. We'll get a few girls. I'm going to go to the tables and get a little spot. I've been hurting here. I haven't had a taste. You've had it all. You've done great. You're my hero, but I got to get a taste. My blood pressure's been up, been up, down, but it's my turn on the tables. And cut to the table. Charlie's ready to roll. There's Bill next to him saying, look, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Charlie says, no, just let me shoot. I'll shoot. I'll shoot these old cubes. So he keeps carrying on. Then you see a shot of Bill's face and he's thinking he's gone. My friend's gone. This is not who I am. I got to go. I got to leave. And Right. So then Charlie's at the table throwing and you realize he's in a whole other world now. Bill can't break through. Bill walks slowly away from the tables. As he gets outside, Charlie walks out behind him and says, look at that. You didn't trust me. You thought I was locked in. You didn't trust that all I needed to do was have a taste and, the, and what was going on here. And of course, Bill is thrilled to have his friend back. At that moment, a cab pulls up. Out come two guys who could be younger, identical versions of Charlie and Bill. They're saying right away, hey, they guys, how's the other. action in this joint? Is it going good? Of course, that's all you that's all you've got to say, Charlie. He goes off. Oh, you're kidding. Action. Unbelievable place. We won four trillion dollars. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, then uh, Bill and Charlie, are they're, they're going to get in the same cab. Bill gets in first, but Charlie closes the door on him. He hands the cab uh, driver a hundred dollars and says to him, here, here's a hundred dollars. I want no stops. You go straight to the airport. Take this crybaby to the airport. He can't handle this anymore. Bill rolls down the window and says, Charlie, what are you going to do with your life? And here's the last line of California split. Charlie says, I'm going to take the best price I can. And he holds up his hand and gives two fingers of victory. And we freeze frame on his incredible smile. Well, I'm so glad the they ending. didn't do that because I think that's shy. Well, here's the thing is this is what Joseph Wall says anyway. Elliot Gold's line, where do, where do you live, was improvised. And when they shot that, uh, Joseph Walsh said to Robert Altman, I think that's the perfect ending. I think we ended there. Um, I think that's what we should do. And the- He said, I think we should use that alt, Robert, man. <laughs> Indeed he did. Uh, yeah, so you generally preferred this. Why? Just because it was a more straightforward plot? <laughs> exactly, because it had a plot that I could follow. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I know why these characters are doing stuff. Well, good luck to you in the uh, synopsis of uh, Nashville. I wish you well, sir. <laughs> We're gonna, it's going to be very bare bones, I tell you now. What do you think is the appeal of gambling movies? <sighs> Maybe it's like, a th- you, you, like, I know I would never do any of it myself. Yeah, there is that. Sure, I would love to win a big bunch of money if I thought I would, but I think the whole thing is rigged and poker I'm crap at. Like if there's a, if that is like a game of skill, which it is of like reading people, then I know I'm really bad at that from the little that I've played of it. I so enjoy I know playing I would poker. Lose all that money. I enjoy playing poker like recreationally as a catch up with my friends at Christmas. That's what we normally do. Like it's you know we do gamble with real money, but it's not serious. Like you know it's a game we play every year. But apart from that, like when I was in Vegas. I was very happy to see, ah, this is one vice that I don't think could grab yeah, a hold yeah, of me. Because yeah. I that's, think this that's, is yeah, that's my feeling. boring like, and uninteresting. I'm so happy I don't have that one. Yeah, yeah. But all the other ones, but not that one. Indeed, indeed. All right, cool. So, cast, all right. Well, actually, Tell do me about couple... Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I have nothing on Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Um, uh, George Siegel. I mean, he was he went he was a method actor. He wasn't really right for me at the start method of the film. Actor, huh? He was a method actor. Yeah, he was a method actor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was too he serious well to keep almost, it together uh, at the start for me. But I, he really grew on me, and I thought he was really good. Thought Elliot Siegel, Gold, Siegel looks old. I feel yes, he does. He looks very old. He looks too old to be pawing yes. after that lady. He looks too old to be hanging about with Elliot Gould. Yeah, indeed. Like a few years too old. 
Gould is very much doing his Gould thing, yeah. uh, which is fine by me. Frankly, he's fun. He's a good movie star. But then yeah. we get some interesting stuff. So Anne Prentice, who played um, Barbara Miller, a.k.a. the older hoe. Um, do you know where she ended her life? Uh, I can't remember where. In prison. Oh, yeah. She, she went had, to prison. She, who did she? She tried to kill someone famous and her yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Listen, sister so or something. She went to prison for physically assaulting her father and threatening Respect. other members of her family. So she put prison there. And then while in prison, she tried to hire an other, another inmate to kill her father, her sister, and, and actor her director Richard Benjamin, director right. of The Money Pit. <laughs> Respect. She didn't, she wasn't a fan of The Money Pit. No, she, she got like, 19 what? extra years in, in jail and died in prison in 2010. Well, you know, if you commit crimes like that, if you try and take out Richard Benjamin off of the money pit. Yeah, don't try happen. and. Don't fuck with the money so, pit. Yeah, he, don't, he don't was also an actor Hanks's in Westworld. Projects. Right, in the, in the 70s Westworld. Yes. I assume, not in the HBO show. He's like a cowboy robot, not the Yul Brenner one. Okay, that makes sense. And then the other lady, who's also in Nashville... Gwen uh, Wells. Gwen Wells. She she kind of lived the two roles she was playing in a way. So first of all, she was like the sort of desperation she brings to California Split. She was living with um, this director, director of Barbarella called Roger oh, Vadim yeah, in yeah. Paris. And she was like, she said she was very, I was very naive. I was 20. I was so in love with him. I would sulk for two hours. I would go to pieces if he gave me a wrong look. Which does, she sounds like a very fragile young lady. And if you look at um, Vadim's de- like uh, romantic history in his Wikipedia page, I mean, he is the quintessential just um, French womanizer, just just being awful to ladies and just continuing to lay them on the strength of that. It's it's time to cancel Roger Vadim. It is time. It is. To, yeah, he's Let's no longer him. a friend of the yeah, show. He died like a long time ago. No, he is a friend of the show. Oh, that's right. He is a friend He's of the no show. No longer an enemy of the show. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We've forgiven him. All's forgiven. And then, in a like leading into one scene in Nashville, uh, in order to stay in Paris for another year, she posed in the nudie for a magazine. Respect. Yeah. Yoga enthusiast all her life. Died of bowel cancer. Yeah, there you go. Now, Bert Remsen plays beautiful Helen. Lady. Beautiful lady, Bert, Bert yeah, Remsen. Yeah, yeah. A, and now listen to she this. She's a beautiful lady. This is how... The, this is how Robert Altman would like to dress up a veteran of the of the Second Great World War Two, um, like this, and listen to what this guy went through. Right, uh, Seaman Herbert B. Remsen. Oh yeah, stop that now. Uh, he was a crew member on the destroyer USS Laffey during the Battle of Okinawa in World War Two. On April 16, 1945, the USS Laffey was attacked by 22 Japanese kamikaze planes during an 80-minute period. Oh. Uh, Remsen suffered burns all, all over the left side of his body during the battle, but was able to return to duty and survive what the U.S. Navy called one of the great sea epics of the war. How was Remsen dressed? Did he have on a wig? And well, the, the reason he got burnt was that he was actually wearing a, a polyester dress. It just went up like a... Yeah, yeah, Don't do indeed. that. But then there's one. Do you know the last one, cast yeah. member story? Barbara, Very Barbara sad. Rick, who died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she played the bartender in Rio. Uh, Reno died during filming due to an aneurysm, and she was mourned greatly by her husband, one John William, who reported having got heavily stuck John into Williams. this. Uh, John Williams, who has reported having got 
heavily stuck into the Star Wars score to cope with his grief. So there you go. Barbara and, Rook died and we get one of the best scores of all time. And Very uh, sad though. Their son, Joseph Williams, is now uh, the lead vocalist in Toto, the band Toto. What? Yeah. Was he always? No, no. He joined them like in the mid 80s or something. So he wasn't behind Africa. He was after Africa, but I'm sure he has sung Africa many, many times. Post Africa. Had hot dinners. I don't know. I've had a lot of hot dinners. He sung Africa a lot. Well, that's all I have to say about that. That's fair. I think you've covered all the key points which I read, and I agree with them. By God, do I agree with them. Very good. So, you didn't like Nashville. Some people say no, this is the greatest that. movie of like all it. time. I don't I say know. that. I don't, didn't, I didn't say, hey, other people said it was superficial and something else. So, whatever. You know? Who said so, that? I don't know, some guy. <laughs> Stephen Reviewman. Let me find you. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll get the fucking critics who don't like it. Here you go. John Malone. Uh, in the New York Times, Greel Marcus in the Village Voice wrote articles that ranged from debunking the hype and calling Nashville superficial and overrated to absolutely hating the film for its uh, aesthetic shortcomings or its purported pessimism, cynicism, and sexism. I don't think this is a cynical movie. No, me neither. Like but the ending is clearly I'm optimistic. Cynical. I think I've got a very good read on this film, actually, because I think I, I generally sort of agree with uh, its message. Which is that country music is actually good. Country music rules. Nothing but country all the time. No, uh, I think its message is sort of... Well, I think as shown in California Split, he's he's interested in you know the mundane lives of people and their sadnesses and emotions and like real things, real pain. And I think with Nashville, he's kind of put like people on a spectrum. And at one end, of, you know about that. And at one end of... Um, like a one 48K end of it, spectrum, you mean that? Indeed, yeah. At one end of it is uh, politics, and at the other end is like music. And there's actually musicians that are somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, like the um, the guy. We've been here two hundred years. We uh, that guy. <laughs> we'll do uh, two hundred more. But I I think like there are certain songs in it for really emotional performances that are really moving. That lady who has a mental breakdown on stage. Her two songs are terrific. Like is she really the same well one sung. who gets shot. Yes. Right. And and Keith Carradine's uh, song about uh, just trying to plow more ladies is pretty good, but it also won it an speaks, Oscar for that. Did he? I'm mm-hmm. easy. I'm easy. Good song. Yeah. But it also That's speaks very much to who his who his character is. Meanwhile, he's easy. The whole way through the movie, this uh, you know this latest new politician just saying we're going to be the new guy. We're going to do this thing. We're going to drain the swamp. It's very drain the swamp type dialogue. <laughs> the guy is going on about. But the thing is, all of you that don't... seems so quaint now. Yeah, which is yeah, something indeed. that was because in 1975 or whatever. It's like this is revolutionary, and now we're like, oh my god, please bring back that kind Boring of dialogue politicians. around politics. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, and then, but you don't see this politician for the entire movie, and then this incident happens, the shooting. But everybody sort of binds together, and it's kind of like I feel like the message of the movie is politics doesn't really matter as much as everybody thinks it does. What matters is the people and what people are up to. That's what life is. When they were filming in the Grand Ole Opry, those scenes of uh, like concert scenes were this. It was the yeah. same day that Richard Nixon left office, resigned. Wow! So it was all. I mean, there's a lot of like Watergate around it all. There's so much. Like I get it. There's no story start to finish. Fair enough. But there's so many moments between characters that are so real. And so, so some character like I, 
I wonder, you know, the guy who played Barbara Jean's husband, Barnett, he's clearly. <laughs> I, need, I need a refresher on who's Sue. Barbara Jean quick, is quick. the lady who has the mental breakdown on stage. Four million characters. Let's just say <laughs> that for stars. Did you watch this in one, one sitting? People. Mostly. Let's see. I watched it mostly in one sitting. I may I have tuned out a little bit. I may have tuned out a little bit. Like one hour of this, I read one hour of this is musical performances. That and can't be accurate. I, I, you're right. It can't be. But that's what I read. It's <laughs> got to no be. It's got to be about half an hour, maybe. A half an hour, I'd give it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's definitely times where you know someone's going like, "We've we're two hundred years of a miracle. We did good stuff with slaves." Where I did kind of tune out a bit. Where's the stuff about slaves? <laughs> I added that line. That was All my right, line. okay. Uh, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like, okay, so let's see. Barnett is Barbara Jean's husband. The guy, her manager, also a big fat guy. She when she's in hospital, he's like he goes goes off to a concert. He's clearly he's like a Colonel Sanders. Oh figure. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the right. That's the guy played by um Alan Garfield. I like. I think he, he died just, of COVID. He's so realistic that just his exchanges with people. I I, I felt he's like got you're the watching nineteen seventies face ever. You're just watching. That's like watching a documentary. There are parts of it that are like watching a documentary. I felt like the concert yeah. footage and like. It is basically a documentary and those like, okay, a lot of the songs were written by the actors, but you've still got like real country singers and musicians around who would mm -hmm. have been doing the same kind of thing at the same time. Some of that just feels so old fashioned. Like I'm sure it is accurate of the time, but yeah. But there's a thing about Nashville as well, where it's like, it's in the center of the country. It's not New York. It's not LA. But they have this kind of same, they think they're like the center of the universe, which is wild when if, if like me, I mean, I've actually been to Nashville as well a long, long you? time ago. Yeah, I spent like a week in Nashville. Didn't see any of the sites, didn't do anything. I was there for a sales training thing for a week. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's lame. I know. So I stayed in a, like a little uh, hotel next to the airport and just went, spent every day doing sales training with hundreds of people. It's brutal, but um, but yeah, like I think everything I've seen around country music around around that is just like I mean that's their Hollywood type thing, like that's the center of that scene. But because I just think it doesn't have that much weight or value to me, I just think it's it looks kind of silly. But it also I do like real... some country music, but I mean, just you know, I mean, very shite. don't like don't tell me there wasn't parts of it that uh, gave you open mic PTSD. It's not too bad for that. I mean, I tell you what, there was the lady who was bad at singing, but then she stripped. I mean, I <laughs> that was like, it's fine. That was like the ass to that? ass scene from Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> that was horrible. I don't know. I think if open micers, you know, if one skill is not working, bring out another skill set. I think that's fine. What's wrong with that? And then fucking dirty ass Ned Beatty saying he wants to kiss her all over. Ugh, well, yeah, that's bad. See, I don't agree with that. Also, Ned Beatty, at the time of filming, he was around 36, 37. Jesus, that 70s diet, huh? He looks, again, I've said this Awful. about many people, it could, still, it could still be my dad, <laughs> easily. And I've got a few. I have a few years on him, even when this was filmed. He, look, he, he, he looks man. awful. He looks 
like he was about to die and he lived until 2021 which is a mad thing i mean i think yeah. he was just melting from a young age Ugh. i think that time probably that time when he went on that that trip down the river with his friends he never recovered <laughs> have you ever seen short you've never seen shortcuts no i i would like to see it it does sound like good. shortcuts is the sequel to this right it's a very similar attempt at filmmaking this it, this has more of a thesis to it with because because no matter when this does pick up momentum like that finale is it, you might not get what it is i'm not sure i get what it is but it is putting a final point on whatever story they're trying to tell there's a kind of a thesis to this movie but the thesis to shortcuts <clears throat> because it's 1990s is just so much more jaded and and it, it's all based on Raymond Carver stories as well so there's no proper ending to anything I'm going to try it's good. I'm going to attempt to talk about the plot a little bit here. Do. I mean it's there's far too many characters. So I'll help you out. Okay, there's a bunch of people and they've all arrived. There's a bunch of people all arriving in Nashville. Are they here for this concert that's at the end? Is that the main thing that brings everyone into the airport? Cuz the first half hour of the film is in Nashville airport. No, I don't think that. I think they're just arriving in Nashville. I think that just the because that's where you go. Because Nashville, yeah. Well, no, because the, you know, Nashville. There's loads of people arriving in loads of places all the time. You know, but they're all. I mean, like the three-person band, the Mary, Bill, and Tom, or whatever the fuck they're called. Like they, I mean, are they not? They're just there because they're going to do that gig. And I assumed um, that, like, um, Henry Gibson's character, Haven Hamilton, the, the suit-wearing mad guy, I, th- I yeah. assumed he and the, the other lady singer were just turning up because... Or maybe they were just coming home. See, none of that is yeah. clear to... Like, there's... If you had to... If, I, if someone had a gun to my head and I had to tell you the names of the female characters and what their relationship is with other people, I'm fucking dead. <laughs> dead. I mean, Sue Ann Gay is the lady who can't sing. I remember because it's a funny name. Yeah, yeah, because she's got gay in her name. If everyone had some form of gay or like some kind of homophobic (laughs) slur as the form of their name, we'd have no problem. That's how you handle large casts when you need to remember the characters. Just call people penis and tits and stuff like that. I I remember the other character, Jeff, now that you mention it. Uh, yeah. Yes, so there's a I bunch of people. They, they all turn up uh, at the airport. That whole first airport section, the first half hour, there's just that feels aimless. A lot of it. I'm guess it's laying groundwork, and it is. It does feel like a part of the film where if I went back and watched it, I'd probably get a lot more from it. Mm. But in this first viewing, and maybe final viewing, I did kind of feel like, eh, I do like. I don't care about a lot of these interactions. It feels improvised. It is heavily improvised. Improv worries me a bit in terms of it's been laid out to the actors of like, okay, you've got a goal in the scene. But then if you, if, if, if you weigh that against like a script where a writer has like slaved over every single syllable of every word. Yeah, like, it'll give, be better. Give me, yeah, exactly. Give me the yeah. written one. Yeah, bleh, I agree. Bleh, you know, I've tried to improvise everything in my life, and I know it's shite compared to things where someone has worked much harder. I mean, like, no, no, no. That, I mean, that's the kind of film I'm much more interested in. But, yeah. uh, like, that's the thing is, like, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty, uh, you couldn't argue against this. I think Altman is kind of an exceptional filmmaker, even though, it, like, it is scattered and improvised. 
it somehow holds together quite nicely. And I know you like it, like definitely my preference is something with a bit more coherence, but I don't, I don't think there's many, th- like, for example, okay, the, the, the classic example, everybody moans on about um, the Judd Apatow movies. Right. And with good reason, because the improvisation is clearly improvised. It's just, sure. it clearly, it clearly is. Whereas here, or Mike Lee, Mike Lee's a, another one on the Altman side. Like, yeah, that's definitely better. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, they're like, those guys know how to just handle it and structure it. And I think Altman does as well. I think, the, like, he even imp- like improvises structures and lets it happen that way. But I don't think it feels messy. It feels aimless. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But then the aim kind of forms in the last hour, as you were yeah. saying. You start to kind of get yeah. a feeling of something. When you see where it's going, it, it definitely picks up, at least for me. And there, like, there's a thing is, as well, there are characters here. I don't think there's one single character that you don't feel a bit bad for. No, there's one or two. Barnett, that guy, that lady's husband, maybe. Tom's um, a dickhead of that, that three yes. person. That, that yeah, yeah, he's a dickhead. They're all dickheads except for the lady, actually. Both the dudes yeah. are dickheads. Honestly, I don't know where to go with this plot synopsis. It might be easier to pick out like moments <laughs> that stick out. Yeah, I mean, that's it, true. It's all, it's all like interactions between people. Um, some of them are family. Some of them are friends. Some of them are bandmates. Some well, of them so we've got this big country dickhead. Uh, the guy who ha- inv- is um, wowed by burr, Elliot Gold burr, at his burr, house. Burr, 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 and he's singing this song. He's a real Republican country oh, yeah, that, star. That's a good point. We have like real people. Um, yeah, yeah. Julie Christie as well. Julie Christie, Elliot Gould uh, appears themselves. Yeah, exactly. They're being famous people and the Nashville crowd have fallen all over them. Basically, the plot is all these people arrive in Nashville and it's all leading up towards this concert. One of them is played by Shelley Duval. She's the so horrible. Uh, she's there to visit her sick Very aunt, sin. but she she's decided to rename herself L.A. Joan, and she just goes chasing after fame and attention and, you know, access. I think access is a big thing, just getting near the famous people. Then you got this BBC or reporter. So we think. We don't even know. She's going around. This lady's going around going like, I work for the BBC, but she's clearly insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is insane. She's like going around looking at school buses and like a scrapyard and just randomly talking into her microphone. And then there's Lily Tomlin, who's a gospel singer, who's married, who's got two deaf kids, who's married to Ned Beatty, and then who's married to who? What? Nothing. Go ahead. And then who else is there? I don't know. There's a bunch of other people. There's that. There's the Barbara Jean. Too many. If you mentioned, you mentioned Suleen <laughs> Gay, the bad singer who gets her killed. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, really, that scene really stuck out to me. I just think it had a lot of dramatic integrity. Which? The one where she took her clothes off. I thought that was just really intelligent. You've got Scott Glenn is in the film as like a Vietnam war vet. Again, he looks like about, he's about 12. Yeah. It's weird wow. to see someone That's like Scott Glenn. Yeah, Scott Glenn. It's mad. It's oh, a lot yeah. of quite famous people young here. And like, yeah, most people, their various arcs take them to this um, political rally with there's a few concerts along the way. This guy, Tom, from this folk band is just shagging every woman on the planet, eventually convinces Lily Tomlin to cheat on her husband by ringing her house repeat, uh, repetitively. 
But the more we get to know him, the more we realize he just wants to have sex all the time. I think he's shagging his bandmate who's married. And that's kind of like their arc is just sort of just disappointment um, where he's singing his song. I'm easy to the crowd of ladies. And there's at least three ladies in the room that want to fuck him again. That was basically the only music I liked. I liked the songs that his band played. Him and his, you didn't and like his um, the two that Barbara Jean sang at the concert before she had a breakdown. Uh, I think that's harsh. Because I think one, because okay, so she's clearly a superstar because everybody wants a piece of her. And she arrives uh, in a wheelchair and they, they say it's like because of some burn thing. But we learned throughout the film, there's every chance it could have just been a mental breakdown, basically. We see her husband, who's just this controlling fat douche, spend some time in hospital. They want her to sing at this political rally. She goes and does this concert beforehand at this place. Uh, this It's like a barn. And the, like, I think that was because this is before Tom sings his song. I'm easy. She sings two songs. And you've seen so much garbage country by this yeah, point in the movie. She's a bear singer, in fairness. And it just it the, re- like the emotion of the song like really stands out. And I think because she then you see she's so fragile and insane. And I think that kind of makes a point about art and why she's able to do that and go to those places is because she's fragile and she's hurt and a bit broken. She's also no die burnt out from all of this. Yeah, exactly from the fame and everything. And I think she gives a killer performance. In both the mental pieces and the singing pieces, uh, the mental pieces, I mean, when she's, you know, going, I, my mom used to make us tea and all of that stuff. Anyway, she'll, she, her, her husband slash manager promises she'll make an appearance at the political rally. So I, I was just thinking, like, I've been to so many gigs where the lead singer starts telling a shite story that trails off and then goes, OK, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 that's true. nothing that's strange true. about that to me. That's I was just true, like, actually. This is another singer who's just telling a shit story. Well, I'd say in Nashville in the 70s, you couldn't be doing that shite. I don't know. Well, so anyway, she just wh- waited 30 years and gone to the whole way through this, there's Brooklyn. this movie. There's this basically John Hinckley character wandering around who's clearly going to try and shoot someone. I never got that. I never understood while watching it what his deal was or why he was a, like, what his character was. You didn't think he was clearly going to shoot someone? No, I thought he was going to try and bang um, the lady that he was living with in the house that he's staying with. Huh, okay. I didn't get I didn't get shooter vibes from him until he pulled out a massive gun. I definitely did. I was like, that's a shooter right there. Anyway, it draws everybody to this political rally at the end. Um, and there's also been this woman at the start of the film who you see running around Nashville throughout who's run away from her husband. And when her husband is searching for her, he describes her as one of those ordinary looking ladies, uh, which I think is, you know, the blonde lady. Anyway. The one who sings at the end. Huh? Yeah, the yeah. The one who sings at the end. So she turns out she's the best singer of all. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Very good. It, it's a great song. And what happens is... Basically, if because uh, I picked up that that guy was going to shoot somebody, and we're at a political rally, so I think the you trick work with in the your, secret service, the trick with your head is, it's like he's going to shoot this political figure, but oh. he actually, but he actually shoots somebody who means he's way more, more to people. Yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> and then she gets carried away, and looks like she's going to die. Basically, it does not look good. Yeah, yeah, and um, but then this other. A bum lady starts singing this song. How does it go again? It, it, it don't like, worry me. Yeah, yeah. It don't worry me. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just about lady just got shot, but it don't worry me. It's like the country version of um, 
Don't worry. Yeah, and that's happy. the thing, actually. <laughs> when the, when Barbara Jean gets shot, uh, everyone's losing their mind. And then that dickhead mm-hmm. country dude goes up on the stage. This and isn't Dallas. Uh, yeah, he's like saying, this isn't Dallas. But he's but this then Nashville. he's not really speaking to this film. But then this weird, crazy tramp lady grabs the mic and just gives this killer performance of It Don't Worry Me and the band uh, join in and play with her. And the thing is, it's one of those great extended sequences where... You're pl- you're paying attention to it. It's kind of you're moving with the crowd in the, in it, and it's like you. I don't know. I think it's a real emotional ending. Uh, I do think it would benefit from rewatches. Particularly, I don't think you picked up on loads of stuff. There's like one what? thing I bet you did pick up on. There's you you know that naked. Well, oh yeah, we've got about her story. Poor Al Sue Ann Gay. She's the worst singer ever. From moment one, she does a good performance of a bad singer. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, it's horrible. And uh, she Ned Beatty gets her to go sing for some vets. And then she's singing her song. She's horrible. And then they just start yelling like Homer Simpson in the burlesque house. Take, Take it, it off. And hey, that was good. That's a good Homer Simpson impression. Uh, and they do. She does take it take uh, it off. She certainly N- does. Nice boobs. But mm-hmm. once again, like Jennifer Connelly in Requiem for a Dream, I couldn't appreciate the breasts because it was such an exploitative it was, situation. It was sad. It was very sad. I did think it was sad. I thought it was, it was, I thought it was really... Because it kind of shows the, you know, the exploitation end of that, uh, that world as well. Yeah, we stay out um, of country. Country is ruthless. The, and then well, there's one part we missed out on. Well, that I forgot to mention. There's so, fucking four million parts we missed out on. <laughs> you know it's that two black hour guy? 40 film. That, yes. That, yeah. Also, uh, Nashville is like a quarter black. I know from being there. It's like about oh, three right. black people in this film. Oh, Even you, in the seventies, you know the guy who, um, you know the guy who works in, uh, who works with uh, Gay Anne or Susan. <laughs> Su- yeah, 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 it's definitely Gay Anne. That's her name. <laughs> yeah, and um, he's, you know, the way Eddie Murphy does this impression of his father when he's grump and drunky. Grump it's and drunky. That guy. <laughs> Your wife is a Bigfoot, like that fella. The way he talks, because he's goes. There's so much of that is like why is Denwood in town? Why is Denwood in town? I think both of these films have a lot of 70s language. Like Elliot Gould is all over the place with 70s stuff where you're like, he's very, he's like jive. Mm, it's kind, yeah, it's yeah. kind of hard. It's hard to take. You have to, you have to just go like, all right, man, it was a place and it was a time. It, I, I really hope no one actually spoke like that. The, um, and what you would call it? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, so you, you know, the big corporate country star, he hates the the black country singer. Like there's a rivalry going on between them. And then when when they're at this uh, sort of picnic thing and uh, he goes to pass him back some food and he goes to try and pass him a watermelon and the wife is <laughs> like, no, don't. That, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, missed yeah. that completely. Pass me by. Yeah, yeah. The wife is like, oh, I'm the, when the BBC lady says never gossip with servants, uh, it hits um, all the points in a microcosm. I think it's, Really good. I think it's worth seeing again. I think you should see it again. I'm going to watch it again at some point. Probably soon when I a movie like this sort of gets in my head because I want to understand it more, to be honest. I want to uh, and I'm going to read a bit about it as well. I've already I've started, <laughs> as you might you might have been able to tell. I read Pauline Kael's review of it. Yeah, I Her read writing that. style is weird. I read, uh, I read the Roger Ebert review. I read Kael's one. Me too. Yeah. I just I felt like they were of the time like it's almost 50 years later yeah yeah i mean it's not um it's not wakanda forever i'll give you that well i mean come on if you, those are the two films i would put head to head to find out which is the best of all time 
Fair enough. Well, that's a, an Altman double bill. Still didn't quite satisfy Andy as much as he needed to be satisfied, maybe. Yeah, no, why well, like the part where the woman wasn't very good at singing and then she used other skills. I thought that was a great bit. And that just it got better from there. And then someone got shot at the end. There was violence. So nudity and violence really saved the day for me. Well, I, I, I just I think I like I saying the same thing again. I would I'd, a rewatch. I'm sure I would like it a lot more. Sometimes I think there that happens sometimes with films where if you're not at least for me, if I'm not if I don't trust where it's going and I'm kind of going like, you know, is this going to pay off? And then when it does pay off, I'm like, oh, OK. So now I can go back and I can sort of relax. That's stressful watching. Going like, holy shit, it's two hours 40. I need to sit here and watch this whole thing. Is it going to physically hurt me to watch it? The ultimate rush uh, with watching films like that, like I think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master is a great example of this, is films that that carry you along and you don't know where the fuck they're going, but they they take you there. You're, You're in for it. And I, I never will say, questioned that film at all, though. It exactly, yeah. And I would agree with you. Like, with Nashville, you are watching it, trying to get it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You're burning a few of your film-watching calories trying to analyze as you go. Yeah. Whereas The Master is just a, a rush. But you at the same... Like, I certainly, the first time I was watching it, I was like, what the fuck is this? It's crazy. But I mean, you can see how similar those two filmmakers are. Slash oh, I mean, obviously, PTA loved Altman. But you know the connection to Altman. He was right. the he um, was the he was, uh, the, he was the stand-in for Altman. Yeah, in his the last insurance film, company the insurance cover guy. for Prairie Home Companion. Yeah. Basically, he would take over if Altman uh, died, which must have been a huge honor when you think about it. Yeah. Well, that's pretty ballin'. I've got there's there there are too many cast members that it yeah. just I was paralyzed with. I don't know. There's a fucking too many people. It don't there's worry far me. Too many people. Uh, I've who do we have? We uh, Geraldine Chaplin. Just Charlie okay. Chaplin's star. Yeah, Didn't know that. Yeah, that's where the Chaplin part comes from. Oh, Henry I Gibson see. we've talked about before. I mean, this is, this is too many people. There's too many people. Oh, I'll tell you the one thing. Here's my favorite bit of trivia for this one. Do you have any right? Elliot Gold facts? Um, Yeah, he's Jewish. He's still alive. He's I'm, still alive. He's 85. Do you know what, you know what I think about him? I, when I look back at the 70s in the stuff. Nudie? Yeah, exactly. When I look back at his 70s film performances, I just think he's so cool. And then I yeah. go like, oh, man, I can't believe you were like Monica and Ross's dad and friends. He's the funniest character in all <laughs> of Friends. He's very funny, and you know, but he's just, he's so different than that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's, he's obviously go- grown, he's into, grown into being that person. I do, I do think fun. he's the funniest character in all of Friends. Everything he's he does good. He's is, is good, good in it, yeah. But here's the thing. So that Peter, Paul, and Mary, Peter, Mary, and Sue, John, Terry, and yeah. Jonesy <laughs> band. I know who you're talking about, yeah. They have a song. They they play one. They play one song together in the club. It's called yes. "Since You've Gone." Yes, you know Very who wrote nice. that? No, Gary Busey. Wow, that's a fact. <laughs> that's good. Is that not good? Gary Busey. Um, just when he was starting out, even I think he he was first. He was a drummer in a band, and then he, I think he he was in some other. He was he was around music all the time, and then he got into acting. God, you and, do have to love Gary Busey. I think he was pretty normal until 1988 when he had his motorcycle accident. He wasn't wearing a helmet and his skull was fractured and he got permanent brain damage. Oh, and he I literally think, went crazy. I think that's why he's mental. Hmm. Because I my think friend, my friend saw him in LA right. 
uh, walking on um, the Venice prom and he said something to him and uh, Gary uh, Busey was, um, he said, like, he, Gary he, he abusive. Said, no, no, he wasn't. Hmm. He said he was just like, a, like a, he talked like a crazy homeless person. He just wasn't making any sense. He was being super nice and he wanted to engage them. And it was initially them who went to engage him. But then they were like, we got to get away from Gary Busey. This is kind of freaking <laughs> us out. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. It's like CTE or whatever. It's He hasn't been in the NFL, but mm. equally bad. Anyway, that's the only... That's, a, that's about it, I think. It's just too many. It's too many people. A lot of the characters are based on real people. But, you know, so someone's supposed to be like Tammy Wynette and someone's supposed to be someone else and whatever. Yeah. Keith Carradine's supposed to be Chris Christopherson. I got nothing else. I got nothing else to say about it. It was fine. Oh, yeah, the only other thing which I thought was quite interesting was... The film, there was some kind of controversy after Lennon was killed. Huh. Regarding the film? What, yeah, five years was, after this? Yeah, of saying, like, of, like, accusing this film of giving ideas. Mark Chapman to ideas. Chapman. Yeah. Well, that's just because they couldn't find J.D. Salinger. Yeah, I mean, that's the real baddie. Imagine writing that book. I mean, I will say this. I have good memories of reading Catcher in the Rye, but if I bet if I read it now, I'd be like, "What? Shut up!" No, you would be straight out there, and you would murder. You think who do I, who do you think I'd murder? Uh, Carlos Puigdemont, Dua Lipa. That's why I see you shooting. Shooting Dua Lipa. Yeah, yeah, I could picture myself shooting Dua Lipa. But I don't think it's going to be um, Catching the Rye. You're going to read One Piece. You're going to read the entire, <laughs> the entire run of One Piece comics. Yes, and then I, I won't shoot her dead either. I'll shoot her in the ankle and keep her in my basement. Yes, so that she can act out One Piece with you. Indeed, yeah, that's it. I'm Monkey D. Luffy, Dua Lipa. All right. Yeah, she's already got like a One Piece style name. You don't even need to change it. She does, actually. We could play Pirate together quite well. She, and I'd give her a limp with the ankle shot. I bet Might be would. time for a coin toss. <laughs> One second. Let me go and get a coin. You bring the toss, I'll bring the coin. Hell yeah. And we're back. Yes. So I've got... Uh, well, yeah, I should probably explain why what we're tossing. I'll go first. I, I chose The Visitor this time. The, the Thomas McCarthy film with Richard Jenkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you yeah. seen it? No. When yeah, I, 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 like, I heard about it, uh, then I looked it up and I was like, I remember hearing about this when it came out. Yeah, it was supposed to be good. I just never got around to it. I, like I think Richard I had Jenkins. it on like a burned DVD as well, but didn't watch it. Burnt DVD. Yeah, you didn't go to fire. Blockbuster. What no. is wrong with you? Uh, okay, mine is uh, Jonathan Demme's uh, Roger Corman pick, as recommended by enemy of the show, John Spillane, Crazy Mamas. Mm. Is, that Crazy not his, Mama. is that his first film? It's around there, at least. It's around there, yeah, because he was mentored, mentored by Corman. But apparently it's good fun. Okay, it's got uh, like a 5.5 on IMDb, which is the mark of quality, so... Let's hope it lives up to but that. But you and me both know those rankings know, don't know, mean shite. But six is normally where I draw the line. Anything under six is usually shite. We'll I mean, catcher, catcher in the, uh, no, um, a Triumph of the Will gets a four, but you watch that every week. Yeah, but that's, I, I, you know, people, I got people who rely on me to, <laughs> we're, we're, we're together. We're you have starting, a revolutionary perspective. Something. Yeah. Well, your options are two or the dearly departed queen of the United Kingdom. And bits of Ireland. I'll, uh, not for long. I'll uh, I'll take Her Majesty. Her Majesty. Her Majesty. Okay. I'm going to flip this up in the air. Let's see what happens. It is two. I'm sorry. You've lost. Three weeks in a row, you One cock more time. biscuit. I, 
Look, that's a two. So we can see. All right. Well, okay. Tell me what we could have been. We could have been having a fun week, but I think it's it about to been... get very serious and miserable. Oh, great. Yeah, because I was going to go for a film which you've seen before. It was going to be something wild because I haven't seen that. Oh, that would have been a great it week. It would have been fun. Jonathan Demme's 1986 uh, You should just, watch it. You should wa- just watch it anyway. You love I know, it. I know you love it. To... Why not? Raymond, Raymond Liotta. And you got too much people. PlayStation to play? I've got many things to do. I got Red now. Dead Redemption 2. It's great fun. Yeah, I have it too. Uh, too okay, so what it's lined, it's lining up with, the, my understanding is The Visitor is about an Arab making a, getting along well with a, an American old man. Oh, So what do you say to a Turkish man getting on well with a German old lady? I don't know what it is. Is It's Rainer Werner Fassbinder's Fear Eats the Soul. Oh, my God. (laughs) Father of Michael. I'll tell you one thing, though. I remember I described this film to you on the show once before, uh, and you said, that sounds really good. We should watch that sometime. Sounds like a rollicking good time. Yeah, yeah. I bet you like it. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see very soon. I I will watch those two films. Wait, how long is it? Wait, what's your one called again? I don't want to have to go back and listen to it. I will listen to it to find out. But say it one more time. I know it's Fast Binder. It's called Fear Eats the Soul. Let me get that. Oh, Ali. Yes. Ali, Fear Eats the Soul or Angst Essen Ziel Auf. And it's... Oh, I mean, it's 93 minutes it's long. It's 93 minutes. It's one of the best films I've seen this year. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. No, apparently it's great. Yeah. Wow. It's super highly rated. Okay. I'm on board. There you I go have now. no recollection of me saying this sounds good, but that's better. I'm glad I don't remember that because now I'm looking forward to watching it. And oh, let's be real. This, uh, in the history of the podcast, this is exactly the sort of film that you enjoy more. That one that's one that you've never heard of at all and uh Absolutely. Absolutely. wouldn't have watched at all. So there Wait, we go. Wait, how long is the visitor? This is this these two films together might be the same as fucking uh Nashville. Nashville. One hour forty four. Not bad. Not bad. Not it's bad. Not not much. We're talking three hours fifteen, three hours twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. The best week ever best week of my life. I'll I'll put them both on my phone, walk around the neighborhood <laughs> drinking booze. I'll watch them both <laughs> twice. I'm ready. All right. Well, cool beans. I have to I have an appointment with Monkey D. Luffy. I've got to get off. <laughs> I, um, uh, I need to go and rewatch that scene with uh the lady stripping. Yeah. Just I mean, to make you, sure it, I see if I caught all the aspects. I feel like I might have missed something in the context. So I'm gonna watch it again in slow motion. Trauma like that you want to internalize. Yeah. Internalize it. All right. All right. In that case, uh, I love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye. It's not my way to love you just when no one's looking. It's not my way to take your hand if I'm not sure. It's not my way to let you see what's going on inside of me.